Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast. My name is Ollie Henderson and we're drawing to the end of the 12th series of this podcast. And over the last few years, I've taken various different approaches to how I've been producing it. You know, most of them have been interviews. It's very occasionally I've shared some of my own thinking. We've had the odd compilation show. I've even done uh, what I called a podstorm back in the day, which was 30 days of consecutive podcasts. I think it was in January 2021. So check that out. That was an exhausting experience, but still it was fun. And I've spent the past couple of months reflecting on what I want to do next with my newsletter and my podcast. And I absolutely love getting the opportunity to speak to the guests that come on this show. And definitely I'm going to be continuing that into the future. But I've also spent so much time myself creating content over the past couple of years, really thinking about the future of work and how that's impacting the way we lead teams and build careers. And and I want to share a bit more of that. And in the next series, I'm going to put a little spotlight on the Work-Life Flywheel, my book, which was published earlier this year, and apply some of the lessons I shared in that book to the current situation. So I spend much of my week chatting to different people within organizations, leaders, entrepreneurs, all trying to do different things in terms of their business, but often experiencing the same challenges. And it's these challenges, which I'm sure you experience, which is how do we get the right combination of bringing people together and building connection between our team, but also embracing how technology can improve the way we communicate and build companies. So that's what I'm going to talk about in the next series. But today also, I thought I'd just do a little summary of this past series because a few times over the years, I've also done a spotlight or a theme for each series. And this one was on community. And I did that because it so often comes up either directly or indirectly in the conversations that I have in that we're all getting used to working in a different way. For me personally, I spent most of my working life in an office and being around others. A bit of flexible work and homeworking thrown into that. But over the past few years, I have spent almost all of my time working from home. And actually, many of the clients and colleagues I work with are based in different places around the world. So I don't really have any need specifically to go in and meet with a team in an office or in a physical working environment every day. But there are elements of that I miss. You know, I do miss getting together and seeing people and connecting with people face to face. And I think that's a really important part of building relationships. However, I'm also a massive advocate for remote work. So I was interested in exploring what impact that had on our thoughts and our perspective about community, what community means from a local point of view, you know, whether there's any changes in the way we interact with those that we live near because of the changes in the way we work, but also how we relate to our team. So much of this series has been focused on that. I've had some specific community experts, people experiencing building communities online and in person, helping build communities to help launch products and companies, but also those that understand what it takes to build great workplace culture. There have also been a few other guests who've touched on different areas. And the first person you're going to hear from is one of those, Bruce Filer. Bruce's first book, Life is in the Transitions, had a massive impact on me during COVID. Um, I was going through my own work-life transition and his book really resonated. And his new book is very much focused on careers, or much more focused than the first one. And in this clip, you're going to hear Bruce talk about how to understand your life through the ABCs of meaning, agency, belonging and cause. But we had a great conversation in general, which took in everything from Bruce's early life and his massive life transitions, partly as a result of serious illness. He had cancer and overcame that and how that changed how he thought about his work and his relationship with his life. 
ABC. You talk about yes. understanding your ABC. Um, perhaps you could you know, briefly explain what that means. And again, for me, this just demonstrates the individuality of everybody's work and life. If you go back to that moment when the career was invented, if you go back 120 years ago, right? For most people at that time, um, most of the sources of meaning were given to them. They had to live where their parents wanted them to live and do what their parents wanted them to do and believe what their parents wanted them to believe and love who their parents wanted them to love and straight on down the line. Um, should, 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 should. Maybe even must, 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 must. must. Mm. Today, we don't live in that world, right? You can live where you want to live and do what you want to do and believe what you want to believe and love who you want to love, which has freed a lot of people particularly women and people from underrepresented and often, you know, um, beat down backgrounds. But the problem is that it's harder <laughs> because you then have to decide what is it that I believe? <laughs> what is it? Who is it that I love? What is it that I want to do? And, you know, where is it that I want to be? Um, we have, we get writer's block trying to write the story of our own lives. And, um, so how do we do that? The answer is we have three levers that we pull, and I call them the ABCs of meaning. The A is agency. That's what we do or make or build or create. In narrative terms, it's our me story. For many people, it's our work. The B is belonging. That's our relationships, our loved ones, our friends, our family, our you know colleagues, our co-religionists, our co-marchers, or whatever they might be in a cause. In, in narrative terms, the belonging is our we story. And the third is a cause. It's a calling. It's a purpose. It's something higher than yourself in narrative terms. Um, it's your the story. So we have our me story, our we story, and our the story, our A, B, and C. And we all have them in different percentages. And what happens is in a life transition, we, we recalibrate them. Right. So maybe in your case, you were running a business and then you had children and you said, you know what, I'm, I, I'm either going to sell or I have this opportunity or I was forced to. And now I'm going to spend more time with my family. Right. So your A shrinks in importance and your B elevates in importance. OK. And then maybe you're doing that for a while and you realize, you know, but I have wisdom I want to share with other people. I want to connect with them. And you say, I'm going to start writing. Right. My cause is going to be, you know, helping other people navigate these moments. And so then you re, you know, you realign the pebbles in the, you know, in the scales and your cause becomes more important. And we're constantly doing that in the course of our lives, kind of, you know, recalibrating the ABCs of meaning. So that was Bruce Farnham. You can go back and listen to that in the feed. In the next couple of clips, you're going to hear directly from two of the world's leading experts on community. This is David Spinks and Gina Bianchini. One of my favorite communities that I'm a part of now is called Dadit on Reddit. It's like the Reddit for dads. All right. <laughs> and it's amazing. Yeah, it's like it's one of the most positive, wholesome communities. You would kind of think like, oh, it's a dad community. It's a lot of bros just broing out. And it's just not. It's like dads talking about crying because they like didn't mm. know how to help their kid through something and dealing with kids with or, or how to how to like support their kids with special needs. Um, yeah. difficulties that they're having with their marriage or their relationships that they really feel like they can only talk to other dads about. It's it's just like this incredible space on Reddit that, you know, I, I don't, I don't post, I'm more of a, a lurker or a learner as people like to call them there, but <laughs> it's, it's, you know, once in a while I'll jump in a conversation. Um, 
yeah, parenting is a huge one. Health, if you have a health challenge or health care or you have health goals, that's that's massive for community. If you're struggling with something like an addiction um, or a loss of family members or really powerful community, there's so many things. And and for me now, you know, I've been saying in my newsletter how like I'm not, I'm never starting a community again or I'm not going to start a community now because I know how much work it is. But of course, I can't always help myself. But I ended up starting one. But it's not a big community. There's actually, we just added our fourth member. It's just a WhatsApp group of other creators. It's just called Creator Friends. And mm. there's four of us in a WhatsApp chat. And we talk like almost every day. And some days it's like, hey, I tried this thing and it worked for me. And some days it's like, I fucking hate having to post to social media. This is killing me. And, you know, or I hosted a webinar and no one showed up, <laughs> you know, I'm going to go cry in a corner for a while. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, um, it's just like a little <laughs> space. It, it, you said it exactly. Communities are really powerful when it, it's essentially your peers that are at a similar stage in their journey to you. Mm. And, and now you feel like you can kind of go through that yeah. journey on your own. And so for people who are thinking about starting a community or wherever they are, you know, you're in a transition in your life, find three other people, find two other people that are in a similar journey in a similar stage and just say like, Hey, you know, would you be down to do a group chat thread and we'll see if it works and put it out there. And I know I've been added to so many WhatsApp groups that started and two weeks later we're dead and that's okay. You know, it's trial and error and it doesn't always click, but when it clicks, you know, already the four people in this group have said that like this space has been one of the most meaningful spaces for them. And it's only been up for like six weeks. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, nice. you know, when, it, when it clicks, it can really work when you're solving your own problem, you don't need a whole big strategy. Just follow your own intuition. Yeah. Um, it's, it's powerful stuff. Yeah. See, this is why I keep coming back to it. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. The, it's important. The, enthusi the enthusiasm's back. It's uh, uh, nice. God damn it. <laughs> so here's the thing. Software will never replace human connection. There is something fundamentally human about the conversation that we're having right now that no AI assistant, no, no computer can replace. And when you are in, in real life together, nothing can replace the connection, the physical touch, the energy of people coming together. So mm. the role of community software that is profound in this moment is to make more of those connections and those relationships and those moments happen faster with more density and with more humanity. So think about, you know, and, and the examples are endless of where, what, what creates the challenge to that is organizing it, finding the right people, you know, for all of the, you know, promise of the early days of social networking, when you really think about what, what morphed and evolved, it was into massive audiences. We mm. have an opportunity right now in the power, starting with the power of community and that community flywheel is to say, actually, 
our job in community software is to help people find the most relevant members of a community that's already built around this big purpose. This We all know why we're here. And to do the things that make it easier for people to meet and build those relationships, see value in those connections. It, it's the role of host. You know, when you think about the best dinner parties that you've been to or the best conferences or the best workshops, typically it's because there is a host that not only was extremely thoughtful about who was on that guest list, but then is playing that role of saying, Ollie, you need to meet Chris. The reason mm. I wanted you both to be here is because you are both starting really interesting businesses or you both write related newsletters. And, and today that's not happening. Yeah. If it is, it's happening very piecemeal. It's happening in very bespoke ways. But instead, you would have to go find those other newsletter writers, reach out to them over DM, um, hope that they respond to you. Probably they won't respond to you because they're too fancy and too big because we're all about building gigantic audiences. And and your like ability then to know what are the social norms for how we evolve into something is very low. Now, yeah. compare that to a community where it can play that role of co-host. So now all of a sudden, the software is actually looking across the data to say, hey, wait a second, Chris and Ollie, they have a lot in common and they're doing a lot of really interesting things. Maybe I could help nudge them, I the software can actually help nudge them into a relationship where neither one of them has to take that social risk of one reaching out to the other, but rather there's a third party, which would be what I would want to do as a human being and as a host yeah. to say, hey, Chris, you and Ollie, you guys need to meet. So I want to turn now a bit more specifically to the conversation around the future of work, hybrid work, flexible work, and what's causing that. So in these next couple of clips, uh, Marcus Mossberger from Infor and Jeff Schwartz, who's been a future of work expert at Deloitte for many years, he's now at Gloat, and he's also a professor who explores the organizational design and organizational culture. And they're going to explain why the role of technology is impacting how we think about building work, workforce ecosystems and, and also how all of these changes affect leaders. One of the more interesting observations I've heard in the last year or two is because so much work was done remotely and in a hybrid fashion, but remotely at the peak of COVID, 50% of the workers who could work remotely were working remotely because we had to. And the question that someone asked, I think it was Diane Gerson, who's was the head of IBM's CHRO at IBM and now teaches at Harvard Business School, was what's the difference between a contract worker working remotely and a full-time employee working remotely? And I think that that experience sort of helped us crystallize or think about the notion that work did not have to be associated with a workplace, right? That mm -hmm. what was really accelerated, and I'll use the word again, crystallized during COVID was we began to see the separation of work and workforces um, uh, and workplaces. I think the other piece of this, um, Ali, is that we're seeing not only companies that have a percentage of their workforce that are made up of these segments of the workforce ecosystem, 
you mentioned Google. I, there are a number of large tech companies where something like half of their employees have one kind of a badge, their employees, and half have another type of badge. There's some type of, of contractor. Yeah. It's a very common phenomenon. This is something we'll hopefully talk about in a few minutes, which is what does it mean to manage a workforce ecosystem versus what does it mean to manage your employees? But there are companies, and the, the most common examples we think of are the ride-sharing companies or the delivery companies, but there are tech companies. There's a case study that we talk about in the book, a company called Applause. Applause is a very large global software testing company. Um, if I have the numbers right, I think they have a few hundred employees, and they have hundreds of thousands of testers who are part of the talent cloud of the organization. So, Marcus, tell me what you've been reading about over the past couple of weeks. What's what's caught your interest more than anything else? Uh, you know, it, it's funny, Ollie. I, I think the way that I would describe it is, and I, I'm stealing this from somebody else. I may be stealing this from you. I steal a lot from you. <laughs> but um, what I've been trying to focus on are two things, the timely and the timeless, right? Mm. Um, so timely, you know, just tons being said about generative AI and how it is going to change everything. And I've heard people talk about the fact that every single job on the planet will be impacted to some degree. Very few jobs will actually go away. Um, so that's the, you know, the, the, the timely, the timeless. Um, I just finished my, um, postgraduate program at the University of Sussex on the psychology of kindness and well-being at work. Mm. Um, and, and again, those are timeless things that we want to understand about why people work, um, seeking meaning in the workplace, wanting to feel valued, needing um, good relationships. So I, I try to, to read both, right? Like things that just are universal truths that aren't going anywhere, but also recognizing how much the world is changing around us. So technology is clearly playing an important role in how we all work and how businesses are approaching hiring, onboarding and managing staff. Now I want to share a couple of clips with you from our conversations with Tom Goodwin and Jennifer Moss. I think from what from what I've read, you've been in office recently or getting into the office more. Um, what are you seeing real people wanting to do when they're there? Are they wanting to come in and collaborate or do they just want to see people? You know, is that a human instinct to just be around others, the, the most obvious reason people are coming in? I mean, um, one, one thing to note really before I sort of say all this stuff is I am quite introverted. I think um, there's, there's something quite annoying about people that like being in the office, which a lot of people take offence to. Um, and I, I always get quite a lot of criticism on social media from people that are introverted saying, you know, it's all right for you as a sort of tall white guy. You know, I used to hate talking to people. I used to hate small talk. I used to hate being in the elevator with people. Um, and I'm quite naturally like that as well, to be honest. Like I don't, I don't really like small talk. But I think it's good for us to do things that we find quite hard. You know, for me, the sort of office is a bit like going to the gym, um, mm. where in an ideal world, you know, I wouldn't have to do it. And it is kind of inefficient and it's sort of out of the way. But it's probably good for me. 
Um, I, I see and I have seen over the last three years because I've been sort of traveling quite a lot. Uh, and often I've been in places where, you know, COVID didn't really affect things that much. Um, I, I basically sort of seen almost everything about the office return to something which is almost identical to before. Um, you know, there were phases where things were quite strange. There were phases where people didn't really know how to behave. There were phases where people sort of over corrected and where everyone sort of looked like they were terrified and excited to be in the office. And I think people now have sort of got to a slightly more typical um, long term behavior. And, you know, for many people listening to this, I'm sure they have quite unusual jobs. So they're probably working, you know, uh, maybe two days a week in the office so they have freedom about where they are. You know, but but the average person on the planet, you know, is not a sort of brand consultant. It's not someone um, running a social media influencer agency. It's not a, a founder of a tech startup. You know, the average mm-hmm. person works for kind of Leicester City Council in procurement or something. Um, and I, th- I think for quite normal people, um, things are, are very much back to how they used to be. How do you think that the idea of work community has changed over the past few years? And I think it's since COVID. It may have been changing before that as well. But I think I think clearly that is just this point in time that you can't deny this accelerated things. How do you think about community now? Has it changed in your mind? Oh, it absolutely has changed. It it definitely has changed. I, the great research that I found, which I thought was just said so much was this way that we meet and look for personality traits in our friendships has changed um, Mm. within our work context. But it used to be that when you went into the office, the way you made friends was through kind of likability and it common shared interests and you'd look for someone maybe that was funny or, you know, up, we're really drawn to optimistic, lively people, right? So you saw that happen just naturally network effect then you'd have sort of that contagion effect with people sort of grouping around people that are optimistic you create a really healthy network effect in an organization and that creates culture right so this is all sort of happening in these sort of webbing within um, an organization's scaffolding and now culture with the researcher found is that the way that we are the the type of personality traits that we're drawn to now are accountability and competency. Mm. And so when I think about, you know, who do I want to go and have like drinks with after work or who do I want to go to the movies with or party with, you know, on a Saturday night, they're not people that I'm looking for, you know, to be accountable and competent. You know, I, I want people to be fun and, you know, share my interests and whatever I love. And so that that change in the way that we're drawn to people makes it just by nature less fun and yeah. less happy. And so I keep saying that right now work is like school with no art, gym or recess. And mm. that's exactly how I feel right now is that work has lost this fun. And it's because we're not creating community in the same way. We're not able to have these kind of ad hoc collisions. And when we're fully remote, we don't get those opportunities. And so I think digital first or remote is is good in theory, as long as you can create some face-to-face time. You know, budgets that were saved on commercial real estate, fly your people together for three days every quarter or figure out a way to have like what Atlassian is doing is creating hubs and events and programs where people can can connect 
even just one best friend at work, it has all of these benefits as you would know through Gallup. But I mean, you're going to reduce your burnout by 41% if you have one best friend at work. So if that's the strategy, you know, you have to spend and invest on creating these face-to-face moments where you're looking for that person that you might want to have, you know, after yeah. work dinner with versus someone that you know will get your Excel spreadsheet back to you <laughs> before the deadline. Right. Now onto a couple of founders who are leading the way in building how organizations respond to the challenges and opportunities related to hybrid work. First, you can hear Dan Bladen from Cadence and then Rob Sado from Scoop and the Flex Index talking about flexibility, hybrid work patterns and how that's changing our relationship with local and work communities. Brad Stolberg has done some great work on this in his book the practice of groundedness and he talks about community being a real powerful force for grounding Uh, you know it provides people with a sense of belonging and support and shared purpose he says when you're grounded in community we're less likely to feel lonely isolated anxious and more likely to feel supported i'd also argue that it's sacrificial like you you can't flourish without sacrifice (laughs) and we may be getting a little bit theological here, but you can't actually live in flourishing without sacrifice. Um, You can live in control (laughs) and you can have control, but you can't get to flourishing without going, continuing to go through sacrifice. So what does that look like? That means getting on the train. That means going in in the rain because actually you might have a better outcome. You might see that friend or that person that actually needed to see you today that you didn't know about. And that's the bit that really bugs me about autonomy and almost entitlement is the I'm an autonomous being. I'm going to do what works for me. It's like, great. (laughs) But we're actually something bigger than our autonomous selves. Um, Going in today, uh, for example, I'm in San Francisco today. I'm I'm in Menlo Park right now. Uh, I live near San Jose. I'm doing a couple of meetings in Menlo Park in a phone booth before continuing on to lunch in San Francisco. And it's, you know, it's a drive, it's a train commute, and it's not always the easiest. But I know that I'm going to have a better outcome seeing this partner for lunch than I would be if I was doing that over Zoom. This series has loosely been around community. So I've spoken to a bunch of companies and thought leaders around what community has come to mean, because I think it evolved slightly and of course there's different contexts here you know there's the people who are community managers you know within an organization and engaging external stakeholders or customers but I think even within companies the idea of communities change I think because that dynamic you know how frequently we meet up with one another the fact that in some cases we may not have ever met some of our co-workers and you know now there's an opportunity to come together just broadly, how do you think about community? What does it mean to you, either as, you know, as a leader of your own business or as you know, somebody who's servicing so many large organizations? What does community mean to you now? It's a great question. It's, it's a complex topic now because um, I think there's a mixture of what is your in-person community look like? What is your kind of like digital or online community look like? How does the time you spend in person with somebody impact the way that you collaborate digitally afterward. Yeah. Um, there's a, a kind of like a professor at, uh, at HBS who has written a lot on this. Um, 
in terms of what is co-location even briefly do in terms of the way that you build relationships or collaborate afterward. And so I think community is going to continue to evolve. I think for a lot of people, the community that may have just solely existed within workplace because you were going Monday to Friday, you know, nine to five or eight to six, depending on what your job was, um, is now getting replaced with some time together in office and then a lot more time locally around yeah. people who live in your neighborhood or in your community. And what does that look like? Um, I also know a lot of companies that are experimenting with like totally different digital practices. Like I spoke with someone recently, uh, Tiffany Dufu, who is the uh, the CEO and co-founder of a company that focuses on enabling women to kind of like build small um kind of like groups together to better collaborate and mentor each other. And she was saying at her company, one of the things that they do is she has purposely overlapped their Zoom meetings, meaning that like the meeting for the next one starts with like with five minutes left in the prior. And like, okay, why do you do that? She said, because I want to recreate digitally the little small talk that happens when the person who's about to come in next uh, comes into the office before the person leaves. And that allows for a little bit more relationship building. And it's not just business to business to business meeting. There's a little bit of overlap where some of that socializing happens. And so I think this stuff is so new. And you're going to have everything from people trying to recreate digital offices, as you've seen in some companies, um, and even like a Nintendo type of like, like, uh, like walk around frameworks to kind of like better digital community practices to how do we think about the benefit of getting together even briefly, you know, for longer term benefit in, um, in collaboration. And so I think it's a really new and, and novel kind of like evolution, um, and this seamless mix of in-person and digital is going to change the way we think about community entirely. So what are the best results of me having a career change and focusing on something I'm really passionate about? The new relationships I've built, and that has led to really good friendships with many people that I've come across and got to know over the past couple of years. And as well as Marcus, who I've met for lunch and regularly catch up with, Kat Lewis and Erin Peters are two of those friends. Erin has been working remotely for over a decade. She's also been involved in growing some of the largest talent marketplaces in the world. And she's got loads of great insights on how to build a remote first culture. And after spending well over a decade at Reward Gateway, the employment engagement platform, Kat Lewis has a really unique perspective on the importance of storytelling for leaders to help them build a great culture. I do think that the next kind of trigger point, if we go back to discussions like remote work, I do have a hunch that a lot of the push to go back to the office is because these really long office leases are very expensive mm. and nobody's able to get out of them. And I do wonder if, you know, within the next 10 years, most of these are, you know, five to 20 year leases. And if you think of the pandemic happening in 2020, when most of the kind of remote work transitions started to happen, I wonder if we will see another wave of the adoptability of remote work and people focusing a lot less on work from home and more on true remote work, like work from anywhere. So I do think that that's going to expand where people are hiring from. We're going to see more global and diverse teams. We're going to see a big push on the legislation side of things of like, okay, well, I have an employee working for an American company who's a Canadian citizen, but living in Germany. <laughs> like, mm. What does that actually mean for classification? 
But I also just think that it's going to be another shift in how cities are shaped, because now we have all of these massive office, office buildings that need to be repurposed and redesigned in different ways. And we're going to actually see that push of people out of rural areas, kind of how we saw a little bit in, in the pandemic, but in a more permanent fashion. So I think we're going to see a pretty big difference in the way that people work and live. And I'm because, you know, cash is rules all things. <laughs> then once mm-hmm. these leases and commitments are done, I'm wondering if that's going to be the next wave where we're going to see the, the bubble burst a little bit. People want to be part of a narrative. That's the way tech has flipped us now from mm. social media days, the millennial audience. Everybody's got main character energy. They're bringing around everywhere, being part of their own story. And as a CEO, you are the lead protagonist in a company. So if you're mm. not telling the story, who is going to be doing that? And yeah. they need to be the one that is driving there, being that lead role and making sure that everybody understands you know, exactly what the strategy is that's being rolled out. So we've heard all my guests talking about community from various different angles, but when it comes down to it, I think what most of us are looking for when we think about community, whether in the real world or online, is a sense of connection. And in these final two clips, you're going to hear Bruce Daisley, former VP of Twitter and now workplace culture expert, and Michael McCarroll, co-founder and CEO of Team Radery, a team experience platform, explain why sharing experiences is really the key to building connection. Yes, that can take place in person, but most importantly, it's about experiencing something at the same time. So here's Bruce and Michael. Well, synchrony, by the way, you mentioned it in your book and it feels like quite an important thing. And I feel like it's related to everything that we're discussing here. Uh, synchronies, it, when we feel like we're on the same wavelength as someone, um, it's transformational. You know, it's it's a bit like when you're in person with someone, you're talking and you see a flash of recognition in their eyes or you see them light up. Hmm. When, when human beings feel in synchrony with each other, it seems to be the thing that connects us. So, you know, it's really interesting. You know, I mentioned earlier, um, one of the biggest things that seems to protect us from loneliness and, and ill health is a sense of connection with other people. But if you put people into a group um, of people they don't feel that they've shared something in common with, it doesn't have the effect. So, you know, yeah. if you suddenly say to someone you need to turn up and go to this cycling group or this gardening group, if you're not interested in cycling or gardening, the effect is lost from it. So synchrony is the sense of feeling uh, connected with each other. And, and you see colossal evidence of the impact it has on humans. When we feel that we're in synchrony with other people, it's an elevating experience. It's, it's that reminder that we are connected with some, uh, someone. And just knowing that that's a fundamental part of being human and that it's how we derive our strength gives you some degree of recognition. Because then you're like, okay, so the way a lot of people get in synchrony is they share a meal together. A way that a lot of people get in synchrony is they go and watch something together and they, they experience it simultaneously. As soon as you know that, then you think, okay, well, that's <laughs> it's quite a versatile way to get to know human behavior and human interactions. And I think, you know, it, it's a sort of, it's an important route to understanding human psychology, I think. So one thing that happens when humans learn as, as a group right, um, is first of all, absorption is far higher, uh, conditional on there being a mechanism during the 
the learning session for people to internalize what they just picked up. Internalize just means, you know, we learn a concept and I kind of describe what it means, you know, to me as we work at company X, wherever we work, right? And you do the same thing. Internalize it just means it's not like we just listened, but we actually, uh, in, we processed it and applied it, right? So that's kind of one, one thing that happens is people learn more. But the second thing that happens is there's this thing called the epiphany effect. And the epiphany effect is where uh, if, you, if you and I discover something or, or shift our perspective at the same time, we'll actually like each other more mm. because we both actually evolved our, the way we think at exactly the same time. And it leads us both to see each other as more flexible and open-minded people. And therefore, mm. we like each other more. So I hope you enjoyed that little overview of the past series focused on community. Of course, you can dig into any of those episodes if you miss them in your podcast feed. I'm going to be returning in a few weeks with a new series focused on the work-life flywheel. So until then, if you're interested in me speaking with you and your team, of course, you can connect with me via the link in the show notes and make sure you're subscribed to the newsletter and to this podcast to make sure you don't miss anything. Thanks as ever for listening and I'll see you here again soon.